and fill them with the Spirit of God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think, uh, <clears throat> I think Brother Oliver's fired. Um, but, you know, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you. I'm sure my wife had a lot to do with it, and Brother Sucky and Brother Oliver, and all of you uh, who wrote notes and brought food. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's hard to preach now, you know, and be nice and all of that. But let's, uh, let's be here. We're, we're here in 1 Corinthians 8. Uh, and it's, a, it's actually a short chapter. It's not very long, 13 verses. But there's a lot here. So just try to focus. I know this, the food smells great, and I'm sure I've already lost your attention. But let's try to go through this and uh, learn about this chapter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, the Apostle Paul begins to deal. If you remember, he's, he's, he's answering questions that the church of Corinth had wrote. Uh, he'd answered questions about fornication, about dating, and things like that. And now he begins to talk about the eating of things sacrificed unto idols. And though he's talking about eating things sacrificed unto idols, what he really takes the opportunity to teach about here is on the subject of Christian liberty. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight and dealing with this idea of Christian liberty. We'll just walk through the passage. There's a lot here, so we're going to turn to a lot of different places, but we'll, we'll try to do it fast so we can get to the fellowship. I'd like you to notice, first of all, there in verse 1, notice what the Bible says. It says, now, as touching things offered unto idols, because that's what he's going to answer and what he's going to talk about. He says, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that, notice what he says, we all have knowledge, and then he makes a statement, and it's, it's interesting because he, he kind of deals with something before he gets into the actual answering of the question, and for those of you that like to take notes, and I'd encourage you to take notes, point number one tonight is we see the purpose of Christian knowledge. We see the purpose of Christian knowledge in this passage, and he says, he says we know that, all, that we all have knowledge, and then he makes a statement, he says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. He says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And what he's talking about, and again, we're dealing with this idea of Christian liberty. What do we mean by Christian liberty? What we mean by Christian liberty is what we are allowed to do, or what is permissible, what is lawful for us to do within the realm of Christianity. And we're not necessarily talking about what is sin and what is not sin. Uh, we're talking about just even sin, you know, things that you're allowed to do and not allowed to do as a Christian. Obviously, we're not supposed to sin, but here's the thing. You can sin and still be a Christian. It's called eternal security. You can sin and, and not lose your salvation, and, but he deals with this idea. And when it comes to Christian liberty, and here's what you need to understand. There's two, there's two kind of subjects. There's that which is sin, that which is clear. The Bible says that sin is the transgression of the law. And whenever the Bible clearly tells us that something is a sin, when there's a commandment in the Bible, then we're not supposed to do that. Now, you can do it and still be saved, but we're not supposed to do that. But then there are times when there are maybe doubtful disputations, things that are not that clear, things that we're not sure how far we should go. And in those areas, sometimes we as believers don't necessarily see eye to eye. Some people take stands that are stronger than the stands that maybe other people might take. Or some people take positions that are different than the positions that other people might take. And that's what he deals with in this, uh, in this chapter. But he begins, he begins, and I want you to understand because for a long time, 1 Corinthians 8 kind of confused me. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm giving you a lot of introduction right now. 
But the reason that 1 Corinthians 8 is confusing to a lot of people, and I believe a lot of people are interpreting it wrong, is because they interpret it in light of Romans chapter 14. Now, we're going to go to Romans 14, but I want you to understand that Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 are not the same passage or are talking about the same thing. Now, in Romans 14, the reason that people will correlate Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 is because both passages mention a weak Christian. But here's what I want you to understand, and this is all kind of introduction, but instead of developing it all, I'm just going to give it to you now so we can try to move quickly, all right? In Romans 14, you learn about a weak Christian in the faith. In 1 Corinthians 8, we're going to learn of a weak Christian in conscience. So those are not the same thing. In Romans 14, we learn about a strong Christian. In 1 Corinthians 8, we don't learn about a strong Christian. In Romans 14, it's clear that Paul sides with the stronger Christian. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul sides with no one. And I want you to understand that in this chapter, it is not the so-called stronger Christian that's not even found in this chapter, that's right. And in fact, I want you to understand, both parties are wrong to an extent. And that's where we begin in verse 1. Because he begins with this idea of the purpose of Christian knowledge. Notice what he says. He says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. And here's what he's saying. The purpose of knowledge, the purpose of knowledge is not so that you can use it to look down on others. The purpose of growth in the Christian life is not for us to grow in knowledge. It's not for us to learn the Bible. We don't read nine chapters a day in the month of January. We don't read the Bible cover to cover every year or maybe several times a year or multiple times a year. You're not supposed to listen to a lot of preaching online, you know, good Bible preaching and biblical preaching. You're not supposed to learn and grow simply so that you can be puffed up, simply so that you can be filled with pride, simply so that you can look down on others. Notice what he says. He says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And here's what you need to understand. Some get puffed up with their so-called knowledge. Now, I want you to understand, I, I use that, those words purposefully because they're not really knowledgeable. They just think they're knowledgeable with the so-called knowledge that they think they have. But he says here that those who get puffed up with their so-called knowledge often lack charity. That's why he says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And here's what you need to understand. If you miss the idea of charity in the Christian life, you miss the whole point of the Christian life. Now, keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 8. Let's go ahead and get um, some verses down. But go to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you find the T-books, they're all clustered together. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And look at verse number 5. Now, when you get to 1 Timothy, do me a favor and put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave 1 Timothy and we're going to come back to it. So I want you to be able to get there quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse number 5. We're going to leave it and we're going to come right back to it, all right? So make sure you stay there. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. He says this, Now, to the end of the commandment. He says, now the end of the commandment. And I want you to understand, when he says the end of the commandment there, he, what he's saying is the, the end game of the commandment, the purpose of the commandment, the target or the goal or the intent, the reason 
for the commandment. And this should be clear to you if you've read the New Testament, because, you know, when Jesus often is asked the question, what is the greatest commandment, what does he say? To love the Lord thy God and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And here Paul is saying, now the end of the commandment, he says the purpose of the commandment, the intention of the commandment is, notice what he says, charity. He doesn't say the purpose of the commandment is to get puffed up so you can look down on other people and say, well, I'm more strict than you are, or I take stronger stands than you do, or I'm a better Christian than you are. No, he says, now the end of the commandment is charity, notice, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith on faith. Now, we're going to come back to 1 Timothy, but go back to 1 Corinthians. We're there in chapter 8. Just go to chapter 13 real quickly. Now, if you know the book of 1 Corinthians, you know chapter 13 is the charity chapter. But I want you to understand that charity, you know, maybe we don't talk about it a lot or we don't preach about it as much as we should, but in the Bible, this idea of charity is extremely important. And charity is basically when we live out our love, when, when love is more than just words, but it's actually something we put into action, when we actually begin to be charitable towards others. It has to do not just with how we feel about people, but how we treat people and how we deal with people. And notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1 about charity. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. He says, look, if I have the most, ta- if I have talent to preach, I mean, if, I, if I'm the greatest orator, if I can get up and preach and people say, wow, what a sermon, and wow, what a lesson, and man, you know, no, no one preaches like this. This man has the tongues of men and of angels. He says, if I have the ability to preach and communicate the word of God like no one else, and notice what he says, and have not charity. He says, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He says, it really doesn't matter what you say. It really doesn't matter how good you sound. If behind that, you don't have charity. Notice verse 2. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. He says, look, if I understand everything in the book of Revelation, if I understand everything in the book of Daniel, if I can explain to you everything about Daniel's 70th week, if I can explain to you all the prophecies, give you all the insight and give you all the intricacies, he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, notice what he says, and have not charity, notice what he says, he says, I am nothing. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, you sacrifice. And though I give my body to be burnt, you're a martyr and have not charity. It profiteth me nothing. And I want you to understand something. I believe this sermon is actually extremely important for a church like ours and churches like ours and really the movement that our church is a part of. Because, you know, unfortunately, what we have in our movement is a lot of people with a lot of knowledge that lack a lot of charity. And they can tell you all sorts of things about the book of Revelation. They watch the Revelation series online. They've watched it several times, you know. And they can tell you all about First and Second Thessalonians. And they can tell you all about Daniel 70th week. And they can tell you all about, you know, this and that. And they're good at it. And they can preach like no one else. And they can sow in like no one else. And they got the tongues of men and of angels. They've got it all together. But you know what? The Bible says you are nothing and you profit nothing when you lack in charity. Because the purpose of knowledge is not to grow so that we can look down on others, so that we can show others how good we are and how bad they are. 
He says, look, if I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. He says, I, if I have not charity, he says, I am nothing. He says, I am sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And here's the truth. And here's what it comes down to. The people who think that they have knowledge really have no knowledge at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 2. Notice what he says. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing. So notice, because people will try to act in 1 Corinthians 8 like Paul is siding with this group. The group that, that says, you know, that the, that the idol is nothing. And we can, we're going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to understand, how is he siding with them when he begins the first two verses condemning them? And saying, look, you think you've got knowledge, but you know what your problem is? You have no charity. You know what your problem is? That you don't actually love or care about anybody. You've got knowledge, but you got the knowledge just so you can get puffed up. And he says, and the truth of the matter is, you think that he knoweth anything, and he knoweth nothing yet as though, as though he ought to know. Because here's the bottom line. It doesn't matter how much you know. If you don't treat people right, if you don't have the right spirit, if you don't, and I'm not talking about being a liberal. Obviously, we can preach the Word of God. We can preach the truth and love. We can preach the Bible without compromise, without backing down. But if your motive is not to love people and help people, if your motive is simply to make yourself look good while making others look bad, the truth of the matter is you don't know anything. And it's clear to all of us, you know, and, and look... We've seen it, you know, you see it, I, I recently heard, uh, I think it was Pastor Romero saying, you know, it's the guy when you're going out soul winning and he's telling everybody how we're all doing it wrong, you know, and you ask him like, oh, how long have you been soul winning? Oh, a couple of weeks. And it's like, but you know better, you know, you know, it's the guy that shows up to church that's literally only been in church for a year and a half, but he's got it all figured out, how everybody else is doing it wrong, how nobody knows what they're... This is what you say, you know, I need an example of this. Just go on YouTube. You can find all sorts of examples of people that are getting up and thinking they have knowledge because they listen to a few sermons, because they've got a few thoughts, because they read half of a book or whatever, and they think they know what they're talking about, but you know what the truth is? They have no clue what they're talking about. Because if they actually knew the Bible, they would understand that the primary objective to knowledge is to use it in a form of charity, to help people, to love people. 1 Timothy 1, go, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 6. Notice what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. We saw there in 1 Timothy 1, 5, he says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Notice verse 6, he says, From which some, from which some, these some are the ones that have been puffed up because of knowledge they don't really have. He says, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jagglings. And let me tell you something. The people that are puffed up, the people that think they have knowledge and, and really have no clue what they're talking about, you know what they spend their days at Pete's Coffee talking about? A bunch of vain jangling. A bunch of garbage, a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. They want to talk about how, you know, this dispensation or that government program or whatever. And they talk about things that are stupid. That's what he's saying. He says, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jagglings. Look at verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Amen. He says, look, these people have no, they, they think they have knowledge. They think they've learned something. They think they got it forgotten. He says, but they don't know anything. And really, we can tell because of their charity, because of their willingness to actually help people and love people, and because they treat knowledge only, the value of it is only to be puffed up. 
so that you can look down on someone else. Go to 2 Peter chapter number 3. You're there in 1 Timothy. You're going to go past Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James into 1 and 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number, th- chapter number 3. 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number 3. Look at verse number 18. I know you know the verse, but let's look at it together. Now, here's what I need you to understand. Everything in the Bible is inspired by God. Everything in the Bible is in there for a reason. And whenever you see lists in Scripture, whenever something is listed, you need to understand, it's listed for a reason. It's listed in that order for a reason. Like in James, when the Bible says that, you know, the, 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 what comes down from heaven, he says it's first pure, then peaceable. He says that's the priority. We don't try to make peace first. First it's pure, first it's right, then it's peaceable. And here he says this, 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 18. He says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And you say, well, why does he tell us to grow in grace first? Notice what he says. He says, but grow in grace and the idea is and grow in knowledge. He says, I want you to grow in grace and I want you to grow in knowledge. You say, why does he tell us to grow in grace first? Because look, knowledge puffeth up. And he says, you would be better off growing in your ability to have grace. What's grace? I mean, grace is what got you saved. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is treating someone and doing for someone and forgiving someone and loving someone and giving someone time to grow when, when they don't deserve it. Because you know what? When you got saved, you didn't deserve it. And, and, God, and we don't just get grace for salvation. We need grace the entire Christian life. And he says, but grow in grace. Here's what he's saying. Before you grow in knowledge, why don't you grow in grace towards people? Before you grow in knowledge, why don't you grow in your ability to love people and be patient with people and care about people? So he gives us this idea. He says, look, the purpose of Christian knowledge is not to be puffed up. But the purpose is to use it to edify and help others grow. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't preach hard sermons. That doesn't mean that we don't preach the Bible and we don't compromise. Well, obviously, we don't compromise the Word of God, and people are going to get offended by what the Bible says. But you know what? Our, when we are giving truth to people, we ought to be giving truth in an attitude of love because we love them, because we're trying to help them, because we're trying to help them grow. Not because I'm just trying to show you how bad you are and how good I M. Go back to First Corinthians chapter 8. So we see, number one, the purpose of Christian knowledge. The purpose of Christian knowledge is not to get puffed up. And those that get puffed up lack charity. And those that get puffed up don't really have knowledge. They think they have knowledge because they listen to a sermon, because they listen to several sermons, because they watch a documentary. They think they know what they're talking about, but they really don't. So he saw, number one, the purpose of Christian knowledge. I'd like you to notice, secondly, the problem with Christian liberty. The problem with Christian liberty. Now, like I said, he's dealing with two groups here. And he's dealing with group one, and he's dealing with group two, and now he's going to begin to really get into the meat of their question. Look at verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 3. He says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him, verse 4, as concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. He said, let me get into your question. He said, I, I gave you, you know, the context to my answer before I gave you the answer. But let, now let me give you the answer. He says, as concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that, notice what he says. He says, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, 
and that there is none other God but one. Okay, so I want you to understand. He's agreeing with them, but he's not saying they're right. He's just saying, look, because here's what they're saying. Here's what group one is saying. They're using their knowledge. They're puffed up. And they're saying, well, an idol isn't anything. An idol doesn't really represent a god. There is no god. And, and Paul is saying, hey, you know what? You're right. He says, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other god but one. And by the way, there's only one god. Did you know that? Look at verse 5. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, look at verse 6, he says, but to us there is but one God. He says there's one God. Now notice what he says here. Because he says there's one God, the Father, of whom are all things. Notice the wording that he uses. He says, there's God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him. And notice what he says, one Lord, Jesus Christ. Notice what he says, by whom are all things, and we by him. And here's what's interesting. He's saying, God the Father is God. You say, well, why is he God? Because of whom are all things, and we in him. You say, well, is he saying that Jesus isn't God? Well, notice what he says, one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. So, for the Father, it's of whom are all things. For Jesus, it's by whom are all things. For the Father, it's we in Him. For Jesus, is we by Him. Is He saying that Jesus is not God? Well, look, you wouldn't say of a, of a normal man, by whom are all things. So, obviously, Paul believes in the deity of Christ. And you say, yeah, but he's mentioning the Son and the Father. Yeah, but I want you to notice that he says in verse 4, there is one God. Please understand this. The Trinity is not three, God, you know, three separate gods that make up one God family. There's one God. There's one being that is called God. You say, what's he made up of? He's made up of the Father, and he's made up of the Son. And he doesn't mention it here, but he mentions it throughout the Bible. He's made up of the Holy Spirit. They are three that are one. That's what he's teaching here. He's not saying that Jesus is not the Father. Because people often look at this passage and say, oh, well, see, it's God the Father, and then Jesus is just the Son of God. He's not God. No, Jesus is God. And you don't have, you know, you don't have three gods. It's one God. That's what the Bible teaches. Look at verse 7. How be it? The word how be it means nevertheless or however. He says, there is not in every man that knowledge. There's not in every man what knowledge? The knowledge. He says, there's not in every man the knowledge that an idol is nothing. Because that's what he just got done saying in verse 4. He says, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. But then he says this. He says, how be it, verse 7, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, notice what he says, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto idols, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So we have group number one. What's group number one? They are puffed up and they have so-called knowledge. That's not a good group to be in. But then you have group number two who has a weak conscience. They actually think that the idol is something. And they feel bad when they eat meat sacrificed unto idols because they think they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the realization that the idol is really nothing. And that an idol is not God. And that an idol is just a piece of metal or a piece of wood. And that there's, not, there's only one God. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He said they don't understand it. And their weak conscience, uh, it says their conscience being weak is defiled. So you've got group number one. 
that says we can eat it because it's, an idol is not really anything. And then you got group number two that says we should not eat it because an idol really is something. Now, keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 8. Go to Romans chapter number 14. Romans chapter number 14. Just back one uh, book into the book of Romans. Romans 14. Romans chapter 14 and look at verse 1. Romans 14 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Him that is weak. Now, again, in 1 Corinthians 8, 7, they were weak. You know, their conscience being weak is defiled. Here it says, him that is weak in the faith. So it's a different type of weakness. I just want you to notice that. He says, he that is weak, because we're going to learn about, you know, dealing with these people. Receive ye, notice what he says, but not to doubtful disputations. All right? Now, what does the word disputations mean? The word disputation means debate or argument. So he says, I don't want you debating or arguing with them. But he doesn't say, don't debate or don't argue for any reason. He says, don't debate and don't argue in things that are doubtful. Do you see that? Doubtful disputations. Here's what he's saying. There are things in the Bible that are super clear. There are things in the Bible that we can say, thus saith the Lord God. The Bible says this. The Bible is very clear in this verse. Or there are even things in the Bible where maybe the Bible doesn't clearly state something. But we find principles in Scripture where it's clear what we teach. Let me give you an example. The Bible clearly teaches that drinking alcohol is a sin. All right? Now, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't teach that, you know, smoking meth is a sin. It doesn't mention it. The Bible doesn't mention heroin. The Bible doesn't mention, you know, those types of drugs. But, you know, we can learn that if God doesn't want us drinking alcohol because of what that does to us, then we can probably assume that God doesn't want us doing the other drugs either. You understand what I'm saying? There are things that we can look at the Bible either just spelled out in Scripture or just clearly look at principles taught in the Bible, and they're extremely clear. But then there are things that might be doubtful, that you're just not sure how far to take. Notice what he says. He says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not the doubtful disputations. Verse 2, for one... Now here's the example. One believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak... Eateth herbs. And he's talking about they're weak in the faith, but you know what? If you eat herbs, you're probably just going to be weak in general. Verse 3. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. We're going to come back to those verses, but look at verse 5. He says, One man esteemeth one day above another, and another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So I want you to understand, and I want you to notice what he's saying here. He's saying, look, these people are disagreeing. He says, one believeth that he may eat all things, and another who is weak eateth earth. He says, one man esteemeth one day above another, and another esteemeth every day alike. Now, you've got group one, right? What's group one? Puffed up, arrogant, they think they know something, but they really don't. Then you've got group two. They're weak in conscience. They lack knowledge. They should probably get some knowledge and realize that the idol is nothing. That an idol, and, and understand, you know, the culture that these people are coming out of, they grew up in this Greek culture with, you know, the, the polytheism and all the idols, and, and it's hard for them to walk away from that and, and get their minds around that. But, you, but you've got a group that's weak, and you've got a group that's puffed up. But there's a third group. What's the group? Well, look, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 8. The third group is Paul. Now, I want you to notice, Paul doesn't side with either group. Notice what he says, verse 8. 
but meat. Now, in the Bible, the word meat simply means food in our King James Bible. The word that we use for meat in the Bible is the word flesh, all right? So when he's talking about meat, he's talking about food. And if you remember when we were studying the book of Leviticus, we saw the meat offering. Remember the meat offering? The meat offering had no flesh in it. It was, it was just, you know, it was like a pancake, you know, it was, it was just flour and oil or whatever. So the word meat is just talking about food. And I want you to notice this. He says, but meat, okay, food, you see the word commendeth there? What does the word commend or commendeth means? The word commendeth means praises us, recommends us, or makes us look good. Notice what he says. He says, but meat commendeth us not to God. Say, what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. Some of you that are these organic Nazis need to listen up to me. He says, me commendeth us not to God. What is he saying? He's saying, God is not impressed with what you eat or what you don't eat. He says, look, me commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Now, don't think, I'm not saying you can eat unhealthy and, you know, we're doing this Stewardship Life series and I'm actually preaching a sermon on the stewardship of health and I think the Bible talks about being healthy and, and all of that. But what I'm saying is this. He says, look, what you eat or what you don't eat doesn't make you more or less spiritual than somebody else. And, you know, there are people who walk around and think like, well, if you don't need organic food like I do, you're not right with God. The Bible doesn't say that. Show me that in the Bible. You know what the Bible says? Me commended us not to God. And I'm not saying that you should be eating Twinkies all day and obviously we should be, you know, healthy and all of that. But what I'm saying is don't, don't become this food snob where you look down on people because me commended us not to God. And you know what? God is not impressed for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. And, and here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I'm in group three. What's group three? What you eat or don't eat does not make you more or less spiritual. Like, you're not more spiritual because you do, and you're not less spiritual because you don't. Now, here's what you need to understand. When it comes to Christian liberty, when it comes to Christian liberty, there are some issues here that you need to understand. The first issue is that we often don't see things eye to eye. Some people say, you know, one man esteemeth every day alike. Another one says, one esteemeth the day above another day. Some people say, I eat meat. Another one says says that they want to eat herbs. When it comes to Christian liberty, we often don't see things eye to eye. Now, we often don't see things eye to eye in doubtful disputations, things we're not even 100% sure about. But we even often don't see things eye to eye in things that are clear. Because here's the thing. Because you're saved, you can sin, and you're still saved. And sometimes Christians just choose to sin, even when the Bible's clear about it, and guess what? They're still saved. And that's what Paul's talking about Because notice what he says in verse 9. He says, but take heed, lest by any means... I want you to notice this term, this liberty. You see that word liberty there? What's liberty? It's it's a freedom. You've got a freedom to do something. He says, this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge... Notice what he says. Sit at me. So he's saying you're sitting to eat in the idol's temple. Now, here's a question I got. Is that right? Is it good or bad? to sit at meat in the idol's temple. And here's the answer to that question. It's bad. So please understand, these people weren't right. These people are walking around saying, well, I can go eat at the, in the idol's temple. I can go because they were sacrificing 
these, making these sacrifices to these idols, well, here's what you need to understand. When you give food to a statue, the statue doesn't actually eat it. So what they were doing was after they sacrificed it, then they would take that food and they were eating it in the temple. Or they were selling it at the butchers, you know, at the, at the market. And these people are saying, well, an idol is nothing. I haven't read the whole Bible yet, but I've, I know enough to know that, that an idol is nothing. So I can go into the idol's temple and eat. And Paul says, wait a minute, you're right. You're right that an idol is nothing. But you know what your problem is? You're puffed up. And you have no charity, and you don't really know what you're talking about. Because, see, Paul is actually going to clarify what is a sin and what is not a sin. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I, I realize we got the food. I'm talking about food. It's not working. But let's just try to get through this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Then you got the other group. They're weak in their conscience. And they're saying, like, I, I, well, you know, I know that. I know what the Bible says, but I just feel like the idol, maybe it is something. All right, now here's the question. Is it a sin to eat things sacrificed unto idols? And the answer is yes. It is a sin to eat things sacrificed unto idols. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 19. There's what he says. What say I then? That the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you're right. You're right that the idol is nothing. That the idol is not really a god because there's only one god. But he says, here's what you missed. Here's what you missed in your little Pete's Coffee Bible study because none of you actually read the Bible yet. What you missed is the fact that they sacrifice, when you sacrifice to idols, you're sacrificing to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. And here's all I'm trying to tell you. Be careful about getting a little bit of knowledge and saying, well, I swear in the Bible that an idol is nothing. So I, that means I can go to the temple and eat the food that sacrificed idols. Why don't you finish reading the book? Before you start getting puffed up, why don't you consider charity and consider others? Because he says, look, you're right, an idol is nothing. But the problem is that when you sacrifice to idols, they're not sacrificing to God because there's only one God, but they sacrifice to devils and not to God. Verse 20, and I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Look at verse 23. All things are lawful. For me. That's the same idea as 1 Corinthians 8 9. He says, This liberty of yours. He's saying, You're right. You can go to the temple and eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and you're not going to lose your salvation, and, and you'll be fine. He says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. He said, Not everything is the best for me either. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. He said, Look, your concern should not be, What can I get away with? Your concern should be, with a heart of charity, what edifies my brother? What helps my brother? So is it a sin to eat things sacrificed unto idols? The answer is yes. It's a sin. And not just in this passage. We see it throughout the Bible. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll find the Lord Jesus Christ rebuking you know, two of the churches uh, of the churches of Asia because they're eating things sacrificed unto idols. So it is a sin to eat things sacrificed unto idols. But here's what you need to understand. Look at verse 24. It is not a sin to eat things sacrificed unto idols if you don't know it. Look at verse 24. He says, Let no man seek his own, but every man 
in others' wealth. He said, whatsoever is sold in the shambles. You see that word shambles there? The word shambles is an archaic word. It's an older word. We don't use it today. But it basically just means a butcher. He says, when you go down to the butcher and you buy meat, he says, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, he says, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. He's saying, look, I realize that some of the food at the butcher is meat sacrificed unto idols. Now, you don't go to their, their temple because I don't want you having fellowship with devils. But if you go to the market... He said, just don't ask questions. Just say, you know, I like the carnitas, you know, and get it. And just, he says, don't, don't ask questions. He said, if it's sold in shambles, that eat, ask no question for conscience sake. Notice verse 20, 26. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He says, God is the one that made all these animals anyway. They all belong to God. Verse 27. If any man, if, if any of them that believe not. So he says, if an unbeliever bid you to a feast, they invite you over for dinner. And ye be disposed to go. Whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. And look, that's just proper, you know, don't ask questions. When somebody gives you food, don't. Is this farm raised, you know? Uh, is this USDA? He said, just, just shut your mouth and eat. Don't worry about it. Verse 28. Notice what he says. But if any man say unto you, this is offered and sacrificed unto idols, so he says, when you become, when someone brings it to your attention that what you're eating is sacrificing to idols, notice what he says. Eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, he said, with a spirit of charity, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for, the, uh, for that which I give thanks, whether therefore ye eat or drink? He says, look, it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Go back to, uh, go back to Romans chapter 14. I, I realize I, I got to be fast. Romans chapter 14. But here's what I want you to understand. He talks about the purpose of Christian knowledge. The purpose is not to be puffed up. The purpose is not to look down on others. He talks about the problem of Christian liberty. The problem is that we often don't see things eye to eye, even when they're clearly spelled out in Scripture. Sometimes people don't think that it's wrong or whatever. Then he talks, lastly, and I want you to go to Romans 14, but we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians here in a minute, about the performance of Christian maturity. So how should a Christian who's actually mature, not just one who thinks they're mature, but someone who's actually read the Bible, someone who actually understands the Spirit of God, someone who actually understands that we're supposed to have charity and grace towards others, how should that mature Christian perform? How should they act? What should they do? Look at Romans 14, verse number 3. And here's what he's saying, and I want you to get this. When it comes to matters, when it comes to matters of standards, some things are clearly laid out in Scripture. Some things, it's clear, you know, what God wants you to do, what God does not want you to do. But when you have matters where someone maybe sees it different than you do, they say, well, I, I understand what you're saying, but I just don't think that, or I don't take that same stand, or I don't have that same position. You say, what should we do? Well, number one, we should not despise others for standards they take or do not take. And I realize I'm in an independent, fundamental Baptist, hard-preaching church, but look, that's what the Bible says. You're not supposed to look down on others because they do take or they don't take a certain stand that you do. Romans 14, look at verse 3. Notice what he says. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. 
And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Look at verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at not thy brother? The word not there means despise or hold in contempt. He said, why are you despising your brother? Notice verse, uh, go, go back to verse number four. So he says, look, you're not supposed to despise others for stands they take or stands they don't take. And you're supposed to realize that we're all going to be judged one day for how we live our lives. Look at verse 4. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Look at verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Look at verse 12. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Here's what he's saying. You are going to answer to God for what you do. I will answer to God for what I do. And we should try to follow the Bible as best as possible. When it's clear, it's clear. But when there's situations where you say, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know if, if you should do that. I don't know. You know what? You need to make your own decisions. You need to study the Word of God. And you should not despise someone for taking a stand that's different than yours. And when you do despise someone and you say, well, I'm a better Christian. Look how godly I am. You know what you're telling everybody? That you're puffed up. And that you don't even really know what you're talking about. But at the same time, the other people shouldn't judge. You shouldn't judge something. Because this happens too where someone will judge someone for taking a stronger stand. Well, look, neither one is supposed to judge the other. And both are supposed to realize that we will all be judged by God. He says, what we should do is not despise and realize that we will all be judged. So we need to make sure that we are doing what we believe is right. Then he says this. Look at verse 9. He tells us why we should do it. Look at verse 9. He says, but take heed. He says, pay attention. Take no notice this. Lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. He says, your liberty, though, should, you should walk in a way where you are not becoming a stumbling block for somebody. Look at verse 10. For if any man see thee... I'm sorry, where, where are you? Are you in Romans? Go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm sorry, I'm reading to you out of 1 Corinthians. I didn't have you turn there. Go to, you're there in Romans. Go to 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Here's what we should do. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Verse 10. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, notice what he says, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh. He says, I'll sacrifice. He said, I won't eat flesh anywhere if it makes my brother to offend. So here's what he's saying. He's looking at these two groups. And one group is puffed up and saying, well, you know what? I read the Bible and uh, an idol is nothing. But then they take that knowledge and cross lines where now they're eating at the temple of the idol, which is forbidden, which is not what we're supposed to do. But look, all these Christians that are puffed up, they are all just in, in sin and you look at it. You know, somebody was telling me, you watch their videos and it's like all this worldly music. But they're the godly ones. They're the ones that got the knowledge, right? You know, and that's how it goes. You get the ones that are puffed up and they think they know everything and they're like an idol is nothing and they're at the restaurant in the idol, you know, in the idol's temple and Paul's like, that's not right. You don't really have any knowledge. And then you got the other guys that are weak 
that think there's actually something to the idol, that think there might, you know, maybe it is an offering to Zeus or whatever. And, and Paul's like, no, and it's only one God. And he says, you guys are arguing about these things, and it just shows. Because look, first, the, the, I don't know if you noticed this, but the church at Corinth is a church with problems. I mean, these people have all sorts of sin. You know, they got all sorts of issues. The point of the letter is Paul's trying to fix all these problems. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 32. Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men and all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Go, go back to Romans 14. I, I know I'm moving fast, but I, I got to move fast. I ran out of time. Romans 14, look at verse 13. Romans 14, 13. Let, not therefore, let, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Here's what he's saying. You can do whatever you want, but make sure you don't make other people stumble. Make, look, he's saying, look, if you're going to walk into that bar and say, well, I've, all things are lawful for me. I can walk into that bar. He says, just make, make sure all I'm going to have is water. Okay, if that's the stand you take. Look, I'll say, personally, I take a stand. I'm not walking into any bar. You know, you say, well, I'm going to walk into a bar and I'm just going to have some water. I'm going to walk into a bar, I'm just going to ask him for a glass of chocolate milk. You know, what's wrong with that? Well, here's the thing, nothing wrong with that. You're right. But just make sure that what you're doing is not causing others to stumble. Just make sure that what you're doing is not becoming a stumbling block. Look at verse 19, let us therefore follow after these things, Romans 14, 19, which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. And here's what it comes down to. Look at verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. I'm sorry. Look, verse 22. That's what I want you to do. Look, look at verse 22. Has thou faith? Has thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eats, but he that eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And here, here's what he's saying. And he says it in verse 5. So I want you to notice verse 5 also. One man esteemeth one day above another, and another esteemeth every day alike. He says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Here's what he's saying. Don't sin against your own conscience. If you don't feel comfortable with something, whether it's right or wrong, say, just don't do it. But he said, well, once you looked at a situation, and when you said, you know what? I'm comfortable with it. I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. When you look at a situation and you say, I'm, I'm good with it, make sure you're not sinning against your own conscience, and then you know what? Don't look down on others that might not take the same stand. You know? Don't look at it. You know, and people ask me questions all the time about these things, you know, when it comes to, well, you know, what about this and what about that? And, you know, in this situation or that situation. And, and it's like sometimes you tell people, look, the Bible doesn't specifically say. You know, here, here's a perfect example. People ask me, oh, it, you know, is it okay to drink alcohol? No. Can I work at a bar? I, no. Can I work at Walmart? They sell alcohol. You know, once you start going down that road, can I wash dishes at the, in the back of the restaurant that sells alcohol? I'm not going to sit here and tell you, that's a sin, that's right, that's wrong. Here's all I'm saying. Make sure you're fully persuaded in your own mind. Make sure you're not sinning against your own conscience. And if you think it's fine to work at Walmart, I'm not going to condemn you for that. 
I may or may not take the same stand. But I'm not going to judge you because I want to be the mature Christian that has charity. And I may or may not agree with you, or I may or may not see your way, but you know what? We should not be despising one another because, look, we don't want the whole world to become just, just like me or just like you. You guys take stands in your families. You guys do certain things, and we do certain things. And when it's clear in the Bible, when the Bible clearly says it, that's what we should say. And when it's doubtful and we're not sure, make sure you're fully persuaded in your mind. But don't take knowledge and start looking down on people or start attacking people or start thinking that you're so much better because all you're doing is showing us that you are not a mature Christian. And if you're weak, don't look at those that are taking stronger stands and say, ah, they're just Pharisees. No, you know, maybe they're just, that's, they're fully persuaded in their own mind. That's the decision they've made. That's what they believe. But you know, at the end of the day, we all must be persuaded in our minds, but we should also be mindful that we are not to live our lives in a way that causes others to stumble. So look, at the end of the day, Paul says this, even if it's not a sin, he said, I won't eat any flesh if it causes my brother to offend. And the idea is always this, let, to esteem other better than yourself to have charity and love for one another and to not look at, oh, you're not, you don't have the same clothing standards I do. Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't, maybe they should. But you know what? Let's preach it from the Bible. Let's preach the word of God to them and then let's just be loving to them and they've got to make their own decisions. And they'll come to their own, you know, they will stand before God one day and be judged for what was done in their bodies, in their home, with their lives, and so will you. So be careful about developing this judgmental attitude. Let's bow here tonight a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these dear people that uh, would, would make food and write cards and, and be kind. Lord, I pray you'd bless them for it. And I pray that you would please uh, just bless the fellowship and the, the food that we have tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. 